Welcome to the podcast. Join Nate and Mike, lifelong friends, as they discuss stocks and investing. The name says it all. This This is is Two Two Buds Buds Talk Talk Stocks. Stocks. All opinions expressed by Nate and Mike are their own. Please do not buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. What's going on, Mike? Hey, what's up, man? How's it going? Uh, Not bad. Not bad at all. I found out there's an ETF out there that Vanguard has that is just all dividend stocks. Oh, is it like the high high yield? Yeah, yeah, yeah. VHY or something? VHY, higher yield one or whatever? I know what you're talking about. Let me see if I can find the symbol. Because you you know how you're always like, okay, buy Caterpillar. Should I just buy? You know, you see those articles where it's like, should I just buy the, the one site or the one stock that's just going to give me that the highest uh, dividend for it. Have you heard of, um, it's, uh, find it. it's got the coolest ticker symbol, uh, noble and N O B L is the uh, ticker symbol. It's, uh, it's every dividend aristocrat. So every, every, uh, and P 500 component that's paid a dividend or raised their dividend for 25 consecutive years or more. Oh. It's something like 50 stocks, but it's got all the, uh, it's got all the dividend aristocrats, which is called noble. <laughs> Like is then, J, let me see if I can guess some J and J. Yep. 50 plus years. Coke. Yep. Altria. It it's weird because Altria is, but I think they classify it differently because there's been the spinoff of Philip Morris. Simple, yes. Yep. Works. Okay. All right. I was it just get the facts. <laughs> uh, let's see what else I can get. Um, Merck. No. I don't, I think Pfizer maybe, but not Merck. Pfizer. Um, let me, I get one more strike and then you can call it. Uh, probably was GE until about two years ago because they lower their dividend. Um, yeah, GE's not in there. Think, think, um, what's that? Visa? No, Visa and MasterCard have only been public for what, 10 or 11 years. So they, they oh, have had dividends. 25. But um, well, think here. about, you're on, you're on the right track if you just think, Think Coke, Coca-Cola, and just think old school consumer staples and then old school industrials. So you'd have uh, AT&T? Yep. You would have PepsiCo? Yep. You'd have uh, Procter P&G, of course. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with some banks. Uh, Chase. No, there is banks. Oh. There's banks in there, but it's not. Um, it's none Weird of the banks. Yeah, like and it's Mellon actually or something. Yeah, it, a lot of the financial stuff is actually insurance and um, uh, asset management stuff. Is a lot of more of the uh, financial travelers. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one for insurance, but no, it's funny because it's all insurance companies that I've never heard of. A uh, uh, Cincinnati Financial has paid a dividend for fifty-five years. Uh, Chubb. Chubb is uh, is an insurance company. <laughs> They've done it for thirty plus years. Erie Indemnity. I was just like I've never heard of any of these insurance companies, but they paid it. They paid dividends forever. So I don't know if I kind of cheated because I so the that Vanguard ETF we were talking about the Vanguard High Dividend Yield Index. Yeah. This is just a. This has in there so it's traded ninety five seventy five. The dividend is three point one. 3.19% for the own personal dividend on the ETF. Mm-hmm. It's got Johnson and Johnson. Now that I guess before I looked that up, 
JP Morgan Chase, P&G, that's a simple one. I should have gotten that. Verizon, that would have been part of your aristocrat. Comcast is in there, which I like Comcast because you get the media part of uh, NBC in there. Universal. Ooh, I got a good, would you, uh, basically a buy, sell, hold. This is always one okay. I thought of. Verizon, AT&T, and Comcast. Buy, sell, and hold. Well, it's got to be Comcast, right? For the, for the buy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Got to be Comcast. Verizon would be there with T-Mobile now. It's so funny to not to answer. Sorry if I didn't answer your question yet. Is that remember how phone companies were essentially weren't phone companies like tech in the 80s? You're always wondering, was it going to be Bell South, AT&T? Like those were huge movers in the 80s, weren't they? You probably had two to three of them on the Dow at each moment. Well, here's something that's crazy about that is AT&T had a monopoly. They were the long distance slash regional carrier for everybody leading up until the 80s. And it wasn't until the mid 80s, 84, that they broke up AT&T. And that's how we had all those little baby bells, those regional players. But the thing that is funny is here we are from 84. So we're talking what close to 40 years later. And we're down to only a handful of actual telephone companies and most of them still the majority is in uh is in uh cellular right so you have verizon okay. you have t-mobile you have at&t and, and sprint is that basically well sprints with team or with verizon yeah. right mm -hmm. no t-mobile and sprint are merged yes so basically you have three uh three tele uh telecom companies for for all intents and purposes but back in the 80s they broke it up and there was a regional one for for the West, for the South, for the Southeast, for the Northeast, for the Midwest, for the mountain area. Like that was the play. You know how everyone's like, well, people are always going to have to make phone calls. It is kind of crazy that AT&T still is where it is today. When you talk about things that have changed, I can't remember who I was just talking about this with, but you know, it's kind of funny to think about is it's not that long ago, less than probably 10 years. You remember when your cell phone plan had a cap on minutes in text messages. Yeah. It's, and, uh, and then you remember the big one was singular wireless, which I think AT&T bought them. But remember their big thing was they started this whole thing where you could roll over your minutes to the next month. Yeah. And then from that, it slowly just became that if you were with Verizon, you had unlimited minutes, but it could only be with other people on Verizon. Isn't it archaic now to just think about the idea of when we were capped out? You have that thing where you get that message. It's like, you've only got 10 text messages left this month. And you, I'd call up and I'd call Verizon. I'd be like, I need more text messages or whatever. Because it's just cheaper to go up to the next plan than to just pay the overage. It was insane. You remember how much it costs for a text message if you went over? Well, I'm wondering if the same thing's happening now with brokerage accounts. With Robinhood, with, oh, with commission trades. Are we going to look back and be like, remember when you had to pay $13, $6.95 for commission? Or even if you have stockpile, you pay a dollar. Yeah, stockpile is one of the. It's one of the few that offers fractional shares, but still uh, that still charges a commission. Yeah, I like stockpile because it's it's so it's so simple and so easy, especially for kids. It's what I started the boys on, but then we had to switch because it's hard to justify paying a ninety nine commit uh, cent commission these days when there's so many other options out there that that don't charge anything. Well, I was, uh, so what I like about stockpiles that you can set up a minority account with your yep. child to get them into stocks. I did that with my oldest and now that he's 18 and can access them. It's pretty cool to see what you can do over years of time. Mm -hmm. And 
my little one, we actually just opened up. He's nine now, his stockpile account. And it's funny when we bought uh, his first two shares, we bought, let's see, what did I get? We got him Disney DIS and I bought, I'm like, look, if you want Disney, you can get it, but you want to, I want to make sure that you buy it before they report their earnings, which they reported last week. So we bought the day of their, um, the day before they report their earnings, 95 um, million subscribers came on to Disney, mm-hmm. by the way. And I got to a point I'm going to bring up. Don't let me forget this. Um, but with stockpiles, funny when, let me see if I can bring it up. So we bought two, what did I get for him? And what's kind of cool too, with stockpile, it's like, you know, when your kid is leaving the nest and you get to still see what he's spending his money on yeah. his Wells Fargo account, the same applies to stockpile where you get to go in there and you get to see what stocks he's buying. And, you know, you feel good, whether you did good or bad as a parent. So, so do you, bought, do you let ahead. him, does he make, does, uh, does he make his own choices? Do you give him a group of stocks he can choose from, or do you let him have free reign? How you, how do you, my 18 year old, I, I do mm-hmm. my 18 year old, because I, he's been following the market with me for years now. So to me, um, I, I, I let it, you know, he's 18, he can do what he wants. And, and usually, you know, he's just, he's just buying millennial stocks. We'll talk about his first, but first I'm going to talk about my oldest or my youngest. We just bought Disney. And the funny thing is we has Disney, Coke, and Tesla. Tesla makes sense. That's all he hears about. We watch, you know, CNBC every morning together. Coke is good staple. I had no problem with that. And then Disney, we did before they report their earnings. Uh, my oldest, you know, you can see where he's buying, you know, Neo, um, you know, he is buying ETFs, which is nice. So at 18, I, I don't want, you can just like, he can spend whatever he wants to. But the point was, is that when I, when I did stockpile for my youngest, he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We bought $25 worth of Disney. Why is there only 24 in, or $24 in there? Where's this 99 cents go? I'm like, well, that's the commission they charge. 99 cents, you know, that's like 20%. That's, th- that's exactly why. So, um, with the boys, we used uh, stockpile too, because exactly to your point, it's one of the few that you could do the, uh, what is it? The UGMA account or whatever for them. It's a miners account, but uh, they would just put in $10 every month. And yeah. it just hurt seeing $1 just basically 10%. yeah, right off the top go. So then we started covering the commissions form, but then there was other options for free. So the one that we switched them over to is, um, interactive brokers you can do the same thing you can do a minor account and they have a light version where you can do dollar amounts and fractional shares with no commission so i just i feel better about that because like you it hurts right i mean look he got it right away when he looked at the account he's like whoa 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 hang on whoa Whoa, miss lippy the part i don't like about the story is you lose 20 percent right off the top (laughs) you gotta think you got a responsibility so uh i got a quick disney story yeah, All right. go for this it. is a b- long, boring Disney story. Disney DIS. The the Dow has you can actually look up on the Dow the worst one day losses. This is where everyone needs to listen. This is where you have to bookmark it if you're listening or whatever. If you're driving, pull over. This is where you have to have stones when you're investing. The Dow has. Can, can you actually look up and see the five, the tip? You can see every one day gain, the biggest of all hit of all time. You can see all the biggest losses. Now, the number one loss, 22.6. That's my number I always play in my head. If you have a loss, it's not 22.6. You know what 22.6 represents? 
And that was uh, Black uh, Monday or whatever, 87? They actually call, you know, they call Black Tuesday in New Zealand because of the time difference. Oh, that makes Either sense, way. right? Yeah. Um, so that, in the top five worst days that Dow's had, number one is, um, you know, 22.6% from 1987. There's, you know, a couple 1929 losses. And in the top five, there are two days in the top five that happened in 2020, March 16th, March 18th. We had huge losses. Mm -hmm. Now people are looking right now where we are on the 14th of February, the Dow's at 34,000 and the Dow was back at what, 20,000. It's gone up 40% since March of 2018 or, or March 18th, 2020. We're talking one year ago. So it seemed like not even, not even a year ago, technically, Less than a year ago, the sky was falling, sell all your stocks, uh, you know, hoard all your gold, whatever, and the, the Dow went up 40%. <clears throat> on that day, on the second day, which some of the top five, you've got two of the worst days in the history of the Dow, percentage-wise, happened last year. I bought Disney at 85. Now Disney's trading about $189 a share. It's crushing it, et cetera, et cetera. The point is, is that when... You know, the only person that can time the market is a liar, but when the market is just going down and down and down, that's where it's, I think it's so important to have cash available and to buy those stocks. You're never going to time the bottom and you're never going to time the top, but with Disney, what I also bought, you know, United things like that. But the point is that's when you have to buy those shares and those opportunities come and go, come all the time. People don't even realize even 11 months ago, we had such a huge loss. I, um, I had started this basically a couple years ago where I had just um, started treating my investments more like the same way that you would dollar cost average into um, a 401k or into uh, into an IRA where, I mean, most people just for a, they get paid every two weeks, right? You take a certain percentage of that and you put it into your, to your, uh, to your 401k or whatever. And the adage always is right that, you do that with uh, with mutual funds, index funds, with with ETFs that tra tra track broader uh, indexes, and you just that same thing you say. You're never buying at the bottom. You're never buying at the the top, but uh, it just it averages out over time. And I just really was like, I'm I'm not a big ETF guy. I'm not a big index fund guy. I like individual stocks, but why can I not just add dollar amounts to my uh, to my um, stock holdings, the ones that I like, just consistently. And uh, for me, I like just doing it every week. So I'd probably be better off just taking a lump sum and putting in all at once. But a kind of for my psychology, it works better to just split it out every week. And to your whole point, when um, when last March rolled around, it's really cool going back to the brokerage account and looking at those purchases that were made. One, I mean, I think you said the date was March, whatever, 18th was the low. So 18th and the uh, yeah. 16th and the 18th were the two biggest. So it was, it was basically a couple days after that, the, the very low, right. Where we were, we were down those, but it, when you look at those, those dollar amounts that I put in and, and stock holdings during that time, it's so cool looking back out of them because some of them are, are four baggers now, right? And some yeah. and overall. So this is what I'm saying. So there's plenty where I bought at all time high because to, to your point, again, February, before this all went down, I was making purchases that 
were some time all time highs for some things, but now right. here we are where today, uh, most every broad market is, or index is, is above where we were last February when it was at it's highs. Even higher, yeah. Right? So. Cause we're at 34,000. Um, and now can be a little bit misleading too, because now what's tough is that now when you, let's say you're watching CNBC and people start so, showing one year charts because mm -hmm. we're in that time frame that, you know, you can show my example, Disney, and you can show up oh, 85%. It can be a little bit misleading because, you know, once it's March, you're showing what they had in that one year, but I'm sure if you did a two year chart, you're not going to see that percentage in it. But the point I'm getting at is that these times come around, whether it was 2008 2020 if i if you took a hundred random people and said all right you're that know what the dow is and you said two of the worst day in the history of the dow happened in 2020 i don't think people would even believe it no i mean even i wouldn't have uh, I, I would have gotten probably the march march lows one but i probably wouldn't have known that the other one was there if anything thinking of the bear market from 2008 to 2009 i would have thought during that time period but uh, I mean, the biggest one day drop wasn't in, in that period at all. Right. But as you recall, yeah. every, it just, it went down every single day. Right. So it's weird how, yeah. uh, how psychologically it just, you just started expecting like, Oh, the market was down 1% yesterday. It's down 1% today. It's going to be down 1% tomorrow. Just right. so much. But uh, I just remember at first, right. When, um, when basically banks were getting bailouts, right? There was swings. Remember that it was like the Dow was down 1,000 points one day, then it was up 1,000 the next day. 2,000 Yeah, right, it was yeah. swing. But then basically after that, it stopped. It just, it started leveling off or it was just down. And if anything, that's where I could, that's probably where dollar cost averaging, if, if I had done that or you'd done that yeah. during that period, looking back now that geez, you just kept buying everything. I remember how many times have you and I talked about, we had a whole list of stocks that, that would look back as like, oh, if I had bought Netflix then or Starbucks or whatever it was, but you could have just thrown a dart at a board, anything during that time period. I got a good, uh, today's Valentine's Day. I got a good Valentine's Day story. You ready? Yeah, lay it on me. So I proposed to my wife, I don't know, 13 years ago on Valentine's Day. I should know the number. 14. I was going to say, yeah, you should know this too. We should watch this. Can we, can we cut this out? <laughs> my point is, I remember when I was getting ready to buy the ring for my wife to propose to her. Starbucks was trading at $7 a share. <laughs> and I literally thought to myself, should I take this money to buy Starbucks or should I take this money to, to buy a ring? And I proposed to my wife on a Valentine's day. But the point is, and I'm glad, of course, I did the right decision and, you know, proposed to my wife. But the point is 12 years ago, Starbucks, which was still, you know, uh, 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 on the Dow, I believe. No, they, they, they've actually never been on the Dow, right? Anyway, my no, point is, but... they've never been on the Dow. My point was, Starbucks is a huge, just as big as they were, as they are today, and they were trading at $7 a share. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did and... the math. Who knows what that'd be worth today? But anyway, that, there's, there's tons of that. And that happens to, what's funny too, though, to your point back in 08, the same thing happened to me with United Airlines. I'm not trying to say they're all winners. Yeah. I, United was trading at 90. COVID hits, goes all the way down to 60. I buy it at 60 because I'm thinking it can't get any lower. And then the next day you're like 48. Then the next day you're at 38. And then I bought it again at 22 just to save yeah. some face. But there's that dollar you know, cost averaging. But the point is you can never time the bottom. And that's why I think right now, you know, 
with everything going on with GameStop and everyone's, you know, it has a stock tip. It's like they said in the 1920s, you got a little bit nervous when the guy shining your shoes had a stock tip. <laughs> it's the same thing now when your Uber driver picks you up and he's got a stock tip. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's important to have cash available. I'm still buying stocks. I bought stocks last week and the week before, but I still think it's imperative to have cash ready so that if we enter something of a, of a correction, which I think is inevitable, maybe I'm just wired that way that you've got the ability to, whether, uh, you know, it was buying, you know, Starbucks at $7 or in my example, buying Disney at $85 a share. It was in the yeah, $84 is what I bought it at. Yeah. Let me ask you this. This is something I've been, I've been trying to, uh, to think about a, of a way to, uh, to explain this to, to people when it comes to the vesting. First thing is, is the old uh, the Chinese proverb right? The the best time to uh, to plant a tree was twenty years ago. The second best time mm -hmm. is today, right? So regardless, there's always been a period of time where the market was at an all time high. Almost right. when you think about it, almost every year you should have been been able to say, "Well, the market's at an all time high." So that whole idea of just getting in where it's too high, it it's it's a moot point, right? Because it's always going to go up more. But I was also thinking. It's like, what's a way that we could explain it to, to people that makes sense where it doesn't have to be huge dollar amounts. And I was almost trying to equate it to, um, to lottery tickets, right? I don't know how many times I go into a convenience store or store and people love buying lottery tickets, right? They'll, they'll spend five, $10 on scratch offs or when the jackpot for mega millions gets big, they'll, they'll buy those. It's just, what if each time, instead of doing that, you're just buying lottery tickets in the form of shares of, of an index fund or stocks, right? Because with as little as $1, you could do that. And you just made it a routine thing. Once a week, once a day, you just put a little more in. And then I started thinking, it's like, I hate to be that guy. You hear so many people, it's just like, you want to save money, cut out the lattes or whatever. I'm like, I mean, I don't think you should do that. If you like buying your coffee at Starbucks, buy that. But I'm thinking if you can afford a, a $5 coffee every day, you can probably afford another dollar from there, scrounge it up and, and just the same thing and just keep doing that once a week or twice a week or whatever it is. And it's amazing how quickly that that money adds up over time, especially if you're doing it that regularly. So I'd be curious to get your thoughts uh, and think of it as just lottery tickets. Same, same well, idea. But one, why two points, one, and it's working like, again, you know, my, my oldest that's in college, you know, if he gets his tax refund, he's already knowing X amount is going to buy stock. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter what the highs are, as long as you just put it in there. And, and the same thing goes where some people, you can set it up to where every two weeks, like, you know, every two weeks, $100 is taken out of your account and put into your special savings account. If you just spent that $100 into stocks, and even if it's just, and, and I know you said you're an individual guy, and I even go a step further. You're trying to keep things simple and you're like, I don't like ETFs, things like that. I tell people you pick four ETFs, four mutual funds, international, small, large, mid. Okay. That that's four. International, small, large, mid. You take a hundred dollars to make my argument, $25 in each account, $25 a, once a month. Then you don't have to worry about the highs and the lows. You don't have to worry about. The, 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 and so that's a good example. I, I, I actually, at first we started bringing that up. I'm like, where's he going with this? And that does make sense. I, I also actually agree with you. We've never even had this conversation before of how 
I don't like it when people are like, cut the latte out. Mm-hmm. No, live your life, buy the expensive beer that you want, do what you want. But if you just take, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month and invest it, the, the dividends that will show in five, 10, 15, 20 years, I've been doing that for 20 years now. I'm in my 40s. And it's amazing the dividends, no pun intended, yeah. that you can actually see from doing that. And that's where, uh, you know, I don't know why I keep bringing up this example, but just the example with my son is he's like, oh, I, want to, I, I wish I could go back in time and do this, this. And I'm like, no, as long as you're doing something, that, that's all that matters. You know, as long as you're putting couple bucks here and there into a fund it, it, that's that's all that matters you don't have to you, yeah i've got i've had some dogs in the past and yeah i've got some winners like disney but the point is, is that i'm actively doing something that's uh, a, and that's, the, that's the point that's a good point and this is what, what i was asking before if you uh if uh if the kids get to choose their own because i used to do this thing with the uh with the boys where again every every month they they uh at the beginning of the month we just sit down and we uh we pick a stock. I'll give them some ideas or they can just add to, to their own portfolio. They're getting to the point where they got 20 or so stocks. So they're pretty well diversified actually. But I mean, they have the greatest asset of all, in my opinion, they have time. I mean, we're talking about eight year olds right. and 12 year olds. I mean, I, I'm so jealous when I think about how young they are, but I used to have this caveat where it was like, okay, but here's the ultimate thing. If you pick a stock, I have ultimate veto power. I think, I mean, if you're picking GameStop or whatever, I'm, I'm going to tell you that's a, that's a no go. But then I heard, I heard somebody else say, I can't remember who it was on a podcast said, no, I would never tell anybody kids not to buy a stock. Because when I look back at some of my biggest losers, that's how I learned how to become a better investor. And I, I thought it was such a good point too, is that you do the same thing. It's cool to look at your winners, but you remember those losers even more or the ones that look like losers that you cut bait on too soon and turned out to be winners or whatever. So I really, I've changed my whole opinion on that. It's just like, they want to buy anything. I let them do it. And I'm just like, if it's, if it turns out to, to win, you're going to like it. And if it's a loser, you're going to remember this lesson, right. Of why like, in the mistakes you made. Well, it's the same thing being a parent to our earlier yep. points. You, you, you got to learn from their mistakes. I, you know, that I, so I have no caveat except I'm like, look, just, you cannot buy GME and all that garbage stuff. But to your point, you got to learn those mistakes. And to me, maybe it's, it's worth, uh, uh, and that's the thing, like with my, with my oldest, it's like, you know, him taking a 20% bath, that 20% is worth it to learn from that. When you, when you actually are making real money, because mm-hmm. it's a difference losing, you know, we're joking like a dollar commission, things like that. You know, you work hard and you buy a stock and you put five grand into it. 20% is a lot of money. Yeah. This is also too why I like the uh, the idea of uh, again not to uh, to beat the dead horse here with dollar cost averaging. If you use your your point with uh, the five grand, again it might be hard for somebody to stomach putting all five grand in at one time. So you could do it in in little yeah. increments or whatever, break it down into two to threes, fours or whatever over the course of. I mean, even if you wanted to just do something simple like five five months, right? So each month you put a thousand dollars and that's something that's really good with, uh, that works very well with indexing. Right. Or to your point, even that, uh, you could break down the 5,000 into 1000 increments and the 1000 into four increments of 250. You could do your small, medium, large international or whatever, and be, yep. I mean, well diversified. It's funny. I was looking, 
just because everything hit all time highs, people don't need to do this, but every quarter, if not every month, I always go in and I adjust all my percentages. I always like to have a specific percentages, ideally 15, 13% cash, 15 small, 15 uh, large, 10 international, except 65 um, large. My point is, is I was looking at uh, my international fund. I have the Vanguard International ETF, which everyone can get in one year, 68%. Mm-hmm. I'm at 68% in one year. We were talking about the Dow was up 40%. And that's the thing. Like to me, if I'm doing a percentage base, I've got probably 10% in individual stocks, maybe maybe 20% individual, and that's being pretty aggressive. So sometimes there's nothing wrong with just taking a couple hundred bucks or whatever whatever your, your comfort level is, sticking into some of those funds and moving on. If you can't beat the S&P 500, there's nothing wrong with that. Then put in the funds, cut your losses and move on as long as you're still in the game. You don't have to be... I, I always say this, and I even use this in life, that you don't have to be the leadoff hitter as long as you're in the lineup. Yeah. You just got to be playing it. That's all that matters. Yeah, so. not, I mean, to use a uh, another uh, baseball analogy, uh, I read David Spade's book one time, and he talks about uh, jokes when he's doing stand-up, and it's just like, uh, you know, some of them just don't miss. He's like, you know, sometimes you, not everything's a home run. Sometimes you get a broken bat single, right? You still get on base though. It doesn't get the last you want, but I always like that, a broken bat single, right? What's the difference? You got on base, you're in play now. I mean, so it's the same thing with investing, that whole idea. Once you start putting money and have skin in the game and just starting and uh, yeah. Do you know what's weird? Like a psychological thing that I just can't break for 20 years that like, you know, we were talking and I'm, I'm not bragging. I'm just trying to give examples of how you can make tons of money for a huge performer. There's a point to this story. I bought Home Depot at 38 and I held just so it. you could bring, bring up Home Depot again. Is that, is that the point? To and, <laughs> well, the point is when I bought the Home Depot at 38, it was a Dow component at $38 a share. It's now essentially a 10 bag or 10 times earnings has traded at $280 a share and I've had it for about 12 years now. Uh, there was no point to that. Excuse me. Yeah. But the point is, is that well done. Home Depot goes down. So let me give you a quick story. I bought Penn, which is P-E-N-N. It's the gambling website. They do online. They own 33% of Barstool Sports. They're going to own 50% of Barstool Sports at the end of this year and then 100% within five years. And their valuation is completely off the charts. Their price doesn't make any sense. But the point is, I bought Penn. I bought Home Depot a decade ago. When Home Depot goes down 20%, I don't care. I look at it like I'm in the long haul. Yep. But it's funny, when you buy Penn, I did a week ago, I check it. First thing I do every day, and I'm like, okay, okay, it's down 2%. Oh. But it's funny, all my other stocks I've had for years and years and years, when they're down 5, 6, 7, 10, 15, it, it doesn't even matter because I know I'm in it for the long haul, but when you buy that recent stock, for some reason, those, it, it's, I, I, don't, I don't know if you have that. This, this is almost one. That one. It's that, and I understand it. If in the long haul, that one should just be lumped in with my other guys, but I don't. My recent ones, I always check more than the other ones. This is also one of the psychological things that works out so well for me is continuing to add to those positions. So for example, you buy a pin and then, a week or two later, whatever, 
add some more to it, regardless if it's gone up or down. I mean, if it's, yeah. if it's gone up, it can continue to go up. And if it has gone down, it's weird how it takes a little psychological effect off knowing that like, okay, I'm, I'm dollar cost averaging down, right? So if I still believe in it long-term or whatever, that ultimately I just, I got some shares on uh, sale. Well, it's like for Penn is a good example. The value, if you do the look at their gross margin, if you look at their earnings before interest taxes, um, it's not a good company. I'm just buying it for what I think it's going to be in five, 10 years. So I'm in the long haul, five, 10 years. So if I'm in it for five, 10 years, what do I care? I shouldn't even be following it on my stock screener or whatever you want to call it. It shouldn't even be in the app. So here's, here's something I was going to say, I was looking at this just before we uh, got online. So I, uh, I sent this to you. It was a, it was a tweet this tweet yeah. actually is it ties in so much to what we're saying right now. So um, the stat was from uh, from Super Bowl betting, and it says there was a total of one hundred and seventeen point four million dollars wagered on the Super Bowl in just oh, New Jersey. One point seven four million. A hundred and one hundred and seventeen point four million dollars. One hundred and seventeen million. All right, go ahead. Now that was just in New Jersey. That's just the state of New Jersey. Okay. Now, 99.8 million of that oh. was online mobile, according to the New Jersey Gaming Commission. Whoa. So, so last year, the year before Super Bowl, there was only 54.3 million bet in total on the Super Bowl. So half of what was bet this year, and of that, only 40.8 million was bet online. So we're talking a 100% growth year over year of online mobile betting. And that's just in the state of New Jersey. So, well, and here's, and I'm going to talk about those stats here in a second. The reason why I was interrupting to get the money, because sometimes when you look at these balance sheets, it's like, have you ever heard the saying, you actually can't comprehend the amount of stars there are. Yeah, right. Because there's so many, like, I'll give you a number, it's blah, 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 but you, your brain can't, when you look at these companies' balance sheets and it's like, okay, so 14 billion, five, you're like, I don't think you can comprehend the billions of dollars of revenue that these companies generate. So that's why I was kind of stopping you for the 117 million. That, that's a crazy stat. That's kind of why, here's the analogy I use. To me, online gaming is like, Amazon. Five years ago, you know, when you needed to get groceries, schools, and I'm an Amazon Prime, either are Amazon Prime or you're not. There's no in between. You either use it or you don't use it. I use it for everything. Um, but now when I look back, I'm like, I would feel like an idiot to know that I'm buying paper towels at the store when I just have them delivered to me or dog food. I haven't bought dog food, like where I've lugged it over my shoulder, yep. walked through there and put it on the couch. I haven't bought dog food for, for five years because of Amazon prime. And the idea of me walking into a casino and looking up at the intimidating yeah. board and be like, um, cause, cause that's the thing that to get on a gambling tangent when you go to Caesars, it's intimidating versus you're on your phone, you're on your couch, you're looking through, you're hitting buttons, right. and sometimes you'll make bets, and then the system will be like, hey, idiot, 
you can't do that. Yeah, There's having to tell bit. the teller at that or whatever, yeah. you're like, uh, give me 50 on the uh, on the bucks. And they're like, uh, sir, please use the number of the team. I mean, you ever, yeah. that's the first time I ever yeah, made yeah, a bet. Yeah. It's like, don't uh, say the 40, team. Yeah. yeah, 4438, sir, please. Yeah. And then you and then you ask him questions and you kind of feel like an idiot. Like, yeah. Look, look, sir, there's an online dummies book yeah. the, <laughs> over there. And I don't need that. I'm already making a bet. I don't need to go into Caesars and feel intimidated about making a bet. And then not only that, in online gaming, when you make a bet, and if your bet is losing at halftime, you can just cash out and take a half, you know, let's say you make a $10 bet and it's halftime and they're getting destroyed. You can cash out $4. Yeah, it's the surrender. It's basically blackjack, the surrender, right? Imagine this. You go, you're in Vegas, you first wait in line for 10 minutes. Um, you're, you're not nervous, you're a little, you know, like the guy in front of you is like, yeah, I'll get 35, 34, two, par with him, blah, blah, blah. And then you walk up and, hi, um, could I bet football, please, sir? And they give you this look like you're an idiot. You can't go back in that line two days, you know, two hours later and be like, uh, sir, can I have half my money back? <laughs> well, not only so, that, but just to the know. whole, the whole thing with, uh, with dollar cost averaging with, uh, the stock marking and little slices, right. Mm-hmm. Be like, can I put 25 cents on a three parlay? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a good point. That's even a better point. I, I got a quick funny story. So I, I do a little online gambling, nothing much. I bet $3 on Grankowski to catch a touchdown and the Bucks to win. That was plus 4,000. I made 125 bucks and look, yeah. this isn't a gambling show. But the point is, I'm not waiting in line at Caesars book keep to be like, take $3 in yeah. coins to, to put it, to place the bet. That's, that's a great point. Um, the whole point of this though was, um, this is one of the things too that, investing has really become for me and why I like uh, individual uh, stocks as compared to um, larger uh, indexes is just trying to start to think about what does the future look like? And I, right. you, touched, you touched on two points here, Amazon five, 10 years ago and what e-commerce looked like and what retail looked like. Um, there's no way you could have looked at uh, Amazon on traditional valuation metrics at their balance sheet and said that this right. makes sense. And whether you're looking at DraftKings or Pin are probably the two biggest names in 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 gambling right now, their balance sheets doesn't make sense. Make sense. But you and I matter. just talked for ten minutes about the stats. I mean, you're a user of the products, right, as well as a uh, owner of the of the company, right? And I think this is just what we're saying going forward. Gambling. As it becomes more, uh, as it becomes legalized in more and more states, these numbers are only going to go up. So a lot of what I look at now, with uh, with these with the companies and the industries and sectors I'm looking at, is I know I'm just throwing out their balance sheet, right? Because on traditional metrics, it doesn't make sense. If their revenue, their top line is growing year over year, their losses are narrowing. That's a good sign. Right. But then I also and think you like what they're doing, yeah. Yeah, so we can lump a whole bunch of stuff into this, whether it's gambling, whether it's cannabis, whether it's um, e-commerce. Uh, I other told you is is, uh, is healthcare when it comes to things like uh, genomics, right? Gene editing. I think that uh, that's that's happening right now, and it's only going to continue to grow. So those are the type of things what, that I that I look for too. And then the basic approach. So I've got. I'm going to do a complete opposite of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. 
So you're talking about new, innovative, and it's like I'm joking when I say I'm going to get emotional, but this is this is I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Where you're talking about, you know, okay, online gambling's the future, Amazon's the future, like change, change, change. I'm in the complete opposite with Exxon Mobil, and I'm going to sell next week. I've decided, but so it's the complete opposite where you hit a point to where I bought Exxon during the BP spill. BP happened. I took it on a crazy ride. Huge earlier point. Huge Exxon's got to be in that dividend thing you were talking about. But anyway, yes, but will it be for a long time? Because that- well, here's what I'm getting at. Then is let me finish my little tangent here. A, it's important to whether it's Penn with Barstool Sports and online gaming and Amazon and the future and Disney was. I'm going the complete opposite. There's a transition too when you have an ExxonMobil, and I could be wrong. And in 10 years, we're gonna we can look back and talk about how it's crazy. Exxon has like a driving car or whatever. But then you also have to, instead of buying it, you got to sell stocks that you think are going to be a dinosaur. And at some point, people had to sell Fuji camera. Mm-hmm. At some point, people had to sell Blockbuster. At some point, people had to sell Sears. Now, are you selling it when Sears is at $85 a share or $0.85 cents a share? You got to pick it. Right now, ExxonMobil, I, I, I bought it. I can't, you know, probably is at 32 when I bought it. I've had it for 10 years. It took all the way to 85. I think even split once. Actually, don't quote me on the split. I don't think it ever split, but I got tons of dividends. The new CEO is back up at 50. I'm in the, you know, I've had it for a decade, but I don't see an out for Exxon. And, and I'm not trying to get on an energy kick here. My point I'm trying to get is I'm ready to kind of move on. And you also not have, when you have, you have to know when, to, to pick the new hot stocks and what's going to form, but you also got to know when to sell the grandfather stocks, you well, know? I, I mean, that's a, that's a really good way to look at it. And I commend you too, for seeing that the thesis has changed, right? Something in, in your fundamental thesis is, is changed when you bought the stock, why you liked it compared to now and looking yeah. at, at the headwinds it will have. And this is also one of my favorite games to play is is along with the what the future is going to look like is just is just thinking about what potential headwinds can get in the way right and energy for me oil gas coal those are things that are just they're finite resources to begin with if you want to just play this game that we live on this planet infinitely and we can invest infinitely in in things i'll put i'll give you categories like you could just take oil or broad broad energy we'll say oil gas natural gas you could do things like uh, precious metals gold silver palladium copper anything that you dig out of the ground you can invest in in oil and gas you can invest in precious metals or i'll give you the field you can invest in anything else but this is infinite whatever you pick you have to go Long term for forever, it's pretty. It's pretty much a no brainer, right? You're picking the field, right? Because right. metal Things that you're going to change people. But yeah. It's a finite resource. Eventually, if you're digging stuff out of the ground, like oil, natural grass, if you're whether the process is fracking, if you're doing it in the ocean, or you're just a miner that's that's digging up gold, 
although the process gets better year over year, so you can, I mean, refine the process and from the pile of dirt you dug up before you can extract more from that. The point is that if you're going infinitely, eventually it will all be dug up. It's, it's going that direction. So instead well, of thinking that way. And I, and I agree with what you're saying. I, I, you know how you're talking dollar cost averaging, mm -hmm. not to, to bore everyone with my personal thing, but I'm selling half of my, I'm not selling all of it. I'm going to take a chunk next week out saying I'm selling half of it next week of Exxon. Yeah. And, and, and I'm selling a little bit more after that. And then I'm, I'm same thing with GE. You, you, to, to your point, and it could be that Exxon is going to be trading at $85 in two years. It could be, but I, I don't want to be around when it's trading at eight, 85 cents or $1.25, whether it's in five years, 10 years, 15 years, and I'm taking that money and I'm, I've cut, I'm cutting my ride off and I'm moving on. I'm well, putting I'll get, it into cleaner energy, you know? I, that's, and that's exactly what I say. I've been one of the sectors that I'm looking at in the trends is, is clean energy, whether it is basically renewable energy, whether it is wind, solar, or even I lump um, electric vehicles in that category. DVs, yeah. Batteries. But two big headwinds that just right now that come to the top of my mind just for, for, um, for oil and gas is the current administration is said that they want their fleet of all government vehicles to be electric, right? And right. then GM just recently came out with news of, of their ambitions of being all electric. GM? Yep, all yep. electric by 2035. That to me, whether we're talking Exxon, BP, or Chevron, they're all in the same same boat. It's one thing if people themselves are saying that they uh, are, are looking to get away from fossil fuels, but when you have the second largest automaker in the world and uh, the biggest government in the world saying that those are trends that it's not, we want them to happen, it is going to happen. We could split hairs about the timeline right. and how long it takes, but it just, it seems to me that I'm not sure. I mean, to your point, you said, I don't, maybe Exxon gets into electric vehicles, but at this, at this stage of the game, for me, I would look at it if same way. Uh, the thesis I would rather sell and buy back in in five years. Mm -hmm. Like take GM. This is a good example. You could have bought GM 10 years ago. GM's at, uh, of the EVs. It's my favorite. I know we've talked about it before. Mm -hmm. It's not hot and sexy like Tesla neo i get it they pay a gm pays a dividend you know the government's going to back them up they're going to do a huge in, they're going to do evs but they're adapting that's the thing you bought ge 10 years ago as a shareholder they're changing they're adapting they're going to electric videos they're not saying we're going to stick with oil and gas and all that point and my point is yeah i'm going to sell my exxon i'm not trying to talk about exxon specifically it's just generally that's why it's important to stay with the market. Now, if you're someone that just wants to buy international, uh, small, mid, large, you don't have to worry about this. Oh, because they're going to take care of that for you. They're going to change move those ones for you. But for me, just like you have to know what you think is in the future, you got to make sure to look in your rear view mirror and see what you're holding and get rid of that kind of stuff too. Yeah, so, I, to I totally agree with this. I mean, yeah. So let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm wondering... Here's what I'm thinking of buying. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, um, here's my big, like, and I am being serious on this one. I think we've talked about it before, but here's my Bitcoin play. Now, Bitcoin to me, you have to look at Bitcoin like silver, gold. In my opinion, it's, it's a commodity. 
you can't look at it like it. I, I think now that the big banks are getting involved into it, I think what I like is Grayscale uh, Investments, uh, GBTC, I believe is the stock symbol. Mm -hmm. Because when you buy Bitcoin, you have to do it through Coinbase, which Coinbase isn't a bad stock either, but you have to buy it through Coinbase. You, you have to know your password. If you lose your password, you can't get into it, blah, 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 blah. When you buy Grayscale, they just do all the cryptocurrencies. And on top of that, you get to see their earnings. And if it takes a huge bath on it, you get the write-off. You have to pay the capital gains on it too. It's trading in the 40s right now. And I think Grayscale might be something where I'm, set, again, selling Exxon, which is a which could be a, a type of a market that is leaving us. And I'm putting it into something that is going to show more potential in the future. So I'll take, I'll take the, um, I'm not taking the, the other side of this. I'm just saying the same thing from a, from a different way. So grayscale, I've invested in it before. Oh, and then yeah. I, you, I, when'd you get into it? So I, I got into, to Bitcoin and for the same reasons that you're saying now to very speculative and I wanted to speculate, but I didn't want to buy into cryptocurrency individually. So I did it through yeah. the, uh, the grayscale. But if you remember the last time that we had this, this kind of a uh, quick rise in Bitcoin was at the end of um, 2018 and it shot up. And at that time it was something like it got to an all high, all time high of, uh, of 20,000. And then it basically went all the way back down, I think to, to, to 4,000. Yeah at the end of 2018. So the difference was in, and I've been trying to do a lot more research on not just Bitcoin, but cryptocurrency. The difference in, in 2018 is it is the demand was all retail uh, led. It was individual people like you and I speculating. So what people are smarter than me are saying now that do a lot more research is that this rally is institutional led. And to your right. point, it's banks that are starting to recognize cryptocurrency Gray the, the, the grayscale trust themselves because the reason that they're able to have a ETF that, that trades with the backing of uh, Bitcoin is that they're buying future contracts. So grayscale is actually one of the largest buyers of, of Bitcoin, which also keeps increasing the price. The second thing I would say about Bitcoin is that, um, and there's a guy, Michael Saylor, he's the CEO of a publicly uh, traded company. I think it's Microsolutions is what it's called. And they just had a ton of cash on their, on their balance sheet. And he just got to this point where it's just like, my cash is, is losing value every day because the interest that it earns in the bank account is being eroded by, is being offset by deflation. So what can I, what other assets can I put it in? And he made this case and he's put a lot of it in Bitcoin. And what he was saying is that Bitcoin is one of the few assets where when you buy it and it goes up, that actually shows that it, it's, it's doing the right thing. That's what you want. Because then the next guy should say, oh, it looks like this is a solid, steady asset. This is not just a fad. It's not just a trend. So let me put my money in it too. And then it goes up some more. And then the next guy puts it in. But that's actually what you want to see is that each time somebody is putting money in that it goes up even more because it's just more reassurance that it is not a speculation that there is something there. So that's part of also what's driving uh, the increase in, in Bitcoin. But the other point that he makes that's really interesting is he talks about, so gold, although it is a, a finite asset, each year 
companies that mine gold, their processes are getting more streamlined as more technology comes available, they get better at it. So although gold is also a finite um, metal in the ground, he said something like this year, we should be able to, miners will be able to mine 2% more gold than they did last year, which is kind of ironic when you think about it. if it's a finite asset, it should be less, but the process is getting so better, is so much better at refining it that you're actually going to produce more gold. Bitcoin, there's only 21 total, 21 million total coins. That number can never go up. That never can, that number can never go down. So it's a hard cap. Whereas with something like a precious metal, although it's finite, or you ah. say the same thing with oil, that the process gets better. You can keep doing more with it. So that was his reason of why he liked uh, cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin, better than something like gold is a hedge against uh, the dollar. So those points are why I started getting in this time again. So I haven't done the grayscale bit trust this time. I like BlockFi because there's no mm -hmm. commissions on it. You can put it in the wallet or you can just leave it on their platform and hope that they're, they, they don't get hacked. I'm kind of old school. Um, you're probably right. I kind of like that I go into my brokerage account and boom, I can see all my stocks and gray whales right in there mm -hmm. versus like I'm going into Coinbase and dealing with all that kind of garbage. The, the only other thing too, and it's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's the same way that we're going to say investing in uh, in an index fund. If you, if you don't think you can beat the market or you don't want to, there's nothing wrong with putting in the grayscale. The only other drawback for me is that their, their annual fees are something like 2%. That seems yeah. a little little stiff, but I mean, I think it's a totally viable option, and there's nothing wrong with getting skin in the game with a uh, with a with the ETF, whether it's just a broad index or Bitcoin. Well, Nate, uh, this is awesome, man. I think let's just wrap it up, dude. Let's do that. All right. Anything? Any last points, Nate? We'll talk next week. I'll just throw out the uh, social media if anybody wants to get a hold of us. You can uh, reach us via email at uh, twobudstalkstocks at gmail.com. If you want to find out more about us, drop us a line on Twitter, twobudstalkstocks. Same with Instagram, twobudstalkstocks. We'll talk again soon, bro. See you, bud.